We'll come now to another sermon of the Reverend Horatius Boner, um, who was a minister in Scotland uh, and a well-known and well-respected theologian uh, in the 19th century. And this sermon is called Christ the Cleanser. And the text is John 13, verse 10. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Father, bless the reading of this sermon. Anoint the reader with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that the Word of God would come forth with power, that it would be elaborated. Thank you for this sermon of old, which can have new life breathed into it, Lord, but only if you help and assist and that your presence is with the preaching of this Word. Make it a blessing to every one of us, the reader, the hearer, Lord. Grant that we might be brought closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have a greater view of him Lord and that we might esteem him more highly and that we might love him with all our heart soul mind and strength father thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ our worthy savior who loved us and died for us and oh Lord may we be those who shine as lights in this dark world forgive us for our many sins for we confess that we have not loved you or served you as we should but father help us we pray and bless this reading of this sermon now we ask in jesus name amen of course the ground of the forgiveness of our sins is nothing other than the blood of jesus christ his atoning death on the cross of calvary and we're saved through faith in him so I'll just read that again. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 13, verse 10. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is every whit clean. He always clean every whit. This washing of the disciples' feet was one of the last of our Lord's acts upon earth. As the servant of his disciples, the servant of sinners, How fully did that towel and that basin show that he had taken upon him the form of a servant, Philippians 2.7, and that he had come not to be ministered unto, but to minister. This last act of lowly love is the filling up of his matchless condescension. It is so simple, so kindly, so expressive, and all the more so because not referring to positive want, such as hunger or thirst or pain, but merely to bodily comfort. Oh, if he is so interested in our commonest comforts, such as the washing of our feet, what must he be in our spiritual joys and blessings? How desirous that we should have peace of soul, and how willing to impart it. This scene of condescending love is no mere show. It is a reality, and it is a reality for us to copy. Love to the saints, love showing itself in simple acts of quiet, lowly service, service pertaining to common comforts. This is the lesson for us, which the divine example gives. If he did this, what should we do? If I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. But in the midst of this scene and its lesson, there suddenly rises up a spiritual truth, called forth by Peter's remonstrance. The whole transaction is transferred into a type or symbol by the Lord himself. The earthly all at once rises into the heavenly as he utters these words, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part in me. It is as if he had lighted upon a new star in the blue, 
or rather withdrawn the cloud that hid a star already kindled, but hindered in its shining by an earthly veil. Accepting then this spiritual truth as a vital part of the transaction, let us study its full meaning as thus unveiled to us. The words of this tenth verse might be thus translated, or at least paraphrased, He that has bathed, or come out of the bath, needs only, after that, to wash his feet. The rest of his person is clean. Here, then, we have first the bathing, and secondly, the washing. One, the bathing. The reference here may be to the fountain opened for sin and for uncleanness, that's the fountain of Jesus' blood, in which we are washed from our sins in his own blood by him who loved us, Revelation 1.5. The bath is the blood, and the bathing is our believing. From the moment we bathe, that is, believe, we are personally and legally clean in God's sight. Our bodies are washed with pure water, Hebrews 10, verse 20. We may accept the reference here as being either to the temple or to the bath, he who bathes, say, in the morning, is clean for the whole day. Our believing is our taking, our morning bath. That cleanses the, our persons, and during all the rest of our earthly day we walk about as men forgiven and clean, who know that there is no condemnation for them. As far as east is, sorry, and that God has removed their sins from them, as far as east is from the west. Connecting the washing here referred to with the temple service, the meaning would be this. We go to the altar and get the blood, get the blood, the symbol of death, sprinkled upon us, implying that we had died the death and paid the penalty in him who died for us. From the altar we go to the laver and get the blood washed off from our persons, proclaiming that we are risen from the dead and therefore in all respects most thoroughly clean. Clean every whit, all over clean in our persons before God. This is the bathing, and thus it is that we are cleansed, realising David's prayer, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So, Bonar is saying, Bonar is saying here that when a person becomes a Christian, when they believe in him, and when they repent of their sin and, and trust Jesus and his blood, they're washed clean, they're clean before God, their sins are taken away, they are in a standing before God of justification, whereby they, God no longer views them in their sins, but as pure and spotless, wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the imputed righteousness. That's how God sees me as a Christian today, as clean, because of the work that Jesus has done. And that is unchangeable. It cannot be removed, it cannot be changed, it cannot be added to, it doesn't need to be added to. The work of Jesus is complete in cleansing me from my sin. That's the, the first point that Bono is making. Let's, um, let's um, read on. So, when I receive God's testimony concerning his precious blood, I am washed, I am become clean, as Christ said to his disciples, Now are ye clean, through the word that I have spoken unto um, you, that is. When I receive God's testimony concerning his di divine righteousness, I am straightway righteous. When I receive him as the life, I have life. When I receive him as redeemer, I am redeemed. 
When I receive him as the sinner's surety, I am pardoned. There is no condemnation for me. When I receive him as the dead and risen Christ, I die and rise again. Such are the results of this divine bathing. They are present and immediate results. They spring straight from that oneness with him in all things into which my believing brings me. As a believing man I enter upon his fullness. I become partaker of his riches, and so identified with himself that his cleanness is accounted my cleanness, his excellence my excellence, his perfection my perfection. As he was the lamb without blemish and without spot, so I am clean every whit. And to me, as part of the cleansed bride, the lamb's wife, it is said, Thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. 2. The washing. This is something different from the bathing, or different from the bathing, and yet there is a likeness between the two things. Both refer to forgiveness, or rather we should say that the first refers to personal acceptance, the latter to the daily forgiveness of the accepted one. The washing is not that of the person, but of the person's feet, those parts which come constantly into contact with the soil and dust of the earth. Considered personally and as a whole, he is far above the earth and beyond its pollutions, for he is with Christ in heavenly places. But considered in parts, his feet may be said to be still upon the earth. In one sense he is clean every whit, seated with Christ in heaven, in another he is still a sinner, walking the earth and getting his feet constantly soiled with its dust or thick clay. Uh, it's really, really important this, because um, if you were to look at, say, a Catholic view of um, this, it would be d different from the Bible's view. Here we um, need a cleansing or a washing from our sin on a daily basis, but it doesn't affect our salvation. It makes no difference whatsoever to the work that Christ has done in, um, in us, but it makes a difference to our fellowship with God and our daily walk. Whereas the Catholic Church would teach that uh, the sin that we commit, we need to make our own atonement for, do our own works to... Um, uh, to overcome, which is a completely different gospel. So we don't find um, the truth in the Catholic Church. We don't find the gospel in the Catholic Church because this washing of our feet has nothing to do with our being justified or saved. It has to do with our fellowship with Almighty God. Now, it's really important for me as well that I see this. So I'm concerned about this, that as a Christian, I, f I feel the burden and weight of my own sin still as a Christian, because if God sees me as perfect because of the Lord Jesus Christ, I certainly don't see myself in that way at all, um, because uh, I still see myself in, in this world. I don't see as clearly as I would like to the heavenly things and the heavenly status and the heavenly standing that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as a Christian, it is my duty to be concerned about my daily sins and to, uh, as the phrase goes, keep a short account with God. Well, let's um, read on here and uh, let's um, read on. In one sense, he is clean every whit, seated with Christ in heaven. In another, he is still a sinner, walking the earth and getting his feet constantly soiled with its dust or thick clay. 
Our Lord here speaks of the washing in reference to this latter condition and contrasts the continual washing with the one bathing, the daily pardons upon confession with the one acceptance in believing, an acceptance which, with which nothing can interfere. With the sense of acceptance, we may say that many things can, do, can and do interfere, but with the acceptance itself, nothing can, either within or without, either in heaven or on the earth. The person who is bathed, bathed is exposed after coming from the bath to constant soiling of his feet. But that is all. His person remains clean. The priest who has washed at the laver is constantly getting his feet soiled with the dust of the temple, pavement, or with the clotted blood which adheres to it. But this does not affect his person. That remains clean. So is it with the believing man, personally accepted and delivered from condemnation. He is every moment contracting some new stain, some defilement which needs washing. But this defilement does not affect his personal forgiveness, and ought not to lead him into doubt as to his acceptance. He himself is clean through his reception of the words spoken to him by his Lord and Master, and he goes about the removal of his ever-recurring sins. As one who knows this... I think I must have chosen the wrong place to record this, so I do apologise for that. He betakes himself to Christ for the hourly removal of his sins. As one who has tasted that the Lord is gracious, he comes for the washing of his feet to him who has already bathed his person. It is this distinction between the bathing and the washing that, means the that meets the difficulty felt by some. As to a believer constantly seeking pardon... He that has bathed needeth not save to wash his feet, but still he does not need to have these washed. Still he does need to have these washed. He that has been accepted in the Beloved has not daily to go and plead for acceptance, nor to do or say anything which implies that the condemnation from which he has been delivered has returned. But he has to mourn over, to confess, to seek forgiveness for daily sins. The two states are quite distinct, yet quite consistent with each other. The complete acceptance of the believing man does not prevent his sinning, nor do away with the constant need of new pardons for his sins, and the recurrence of sin does not cancel his acceptance, nor is the obtaining of new pardons at variance with his standing as a forgiven man. It is this distinction which answers a question often raised. Are all our sins, future as well as past, forgiven the moment we believe? In one sense, they are. For from the time of our believing we are treated by God as forgiven men, and nothing can interfere with this. But in another, they are not. For, strictly speaking, no sin can be actually forgiven till it, till it exists, just as no one can be raised up till he actually fall. And as we cannot wash off the soil from our feet until it is, on, it is on them, that God should treat his saints as forgiven ones, and yet that he should be constantly forgiving, are two things quite compatible with the bathing and washing of our text. Furnish an this furnishes an excellent illustration of their consistency. All such questions have two sides, a divine and a human one. 
The mixing up of these two, or the ascribing to the one what belongs to the other, confuses and perplexes. The keeping of them separate makes all clear. With the divine side, God has to do. With the human, we have to do. Eternal forgiveness is God's purpose. Daily forgiveness is our own enjoyment and privilege. We are apt to get into confusion here and to feel as if our daily sins did interfere with our acceptance and ought for the time to destroy our consciousness or assurance of acceptance. Now, on a personal note, I know that I've often had to struggle with this uh, question myself over many years. So, um, Horatius Bonar is certainly hitting the spot here as regards um, teaching. Our Lord's words here clear up this difficulty and rectify this mistake. He that hath bathed needeth not save to wash his feet. Our state of no condemnation is one which our daily sins cannot touch. These sins need constant washing, but that does not affect the great truth of our personal cleanness in the sight of God, our having found grace in the eyes of the Lord. To suppose that it could do so would be to misunderstand our Lord's distinction between the bathing and the washing. Let us learn then how to deal with our daily sins in consistency with this distinction. Suppose I sin, suppose I get angry, shall I conclude that I have never been accepted or that this sin has thrown me out of acceptance? No, but holding fast my acceptance, go and confess my anger to the Master. Suppose I allow the world to come in and perhaps for days I become cold and prayerless. Shall I say, ah, I have never been a forgiven man, or this has broken up the reconciliation? No, but undisturbed in my consciousness of pardon and reconciliation, I simply take my worldliness, my coldness, my prayerlessness to God. I go and wash my feet as often as they need it, and that is every moment. But in doing so, I never lose sight of the blessed fact that I have bathed, and that as nothing can alter this fact, so nothing can invalidate its effects. It abides unchanged, once bathed, then bathed forever. Shall we sin then, because grace abounds? Shall we soil our feet, because our cleansing has been so perfect? And because the washing is so easy? No. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? So far from being now in a more favourable position for committing sin, we are placed in one which of all others is the most effectual for delivering, delivering us from it. The conscious completeness of the pardon is God's preservative from sin, and it is the best, the most effectual. There is none like it knowing that I'm a Christian, knowing that I've been bought at a price, knowing Jesus Christ is the strongest preservative for me falling into sin. It is the source of our power against sin and for holiness. Without this progress in goodness, freedom in service and success in labour are all impossible. The bathing and the washing are both of them God's protests against sin, and if understood aright, would be our most effectual safeguards. They come to us like Christ's words to the woman. Neither do I condemn thee. Go, and sin no more. 
And what more likely to deepen our hatred of sin than this necessary intercourse with our holy master in the reception of constant forgiveness from his priestly hands? The more that we have to do with him, the more are we sure to become like him, nor is anything more fitted to make us ashamed of our sins than our being compelled to bring them constantly and to bring them all, small and great, to pardon, for pardon to himself. It is thus that the highest stoops to the lowest and discharges towards us the offices of happy affection and considerate sympathy in the most menial things of life. Shall we not imitate his love and by our daily acts of kindly service to our fellow saints and knit together the members of the blessed household? However great in rank or riches or learning, shall we not stoop? Most of us aren't great in rank, riches or learning, I guess. High in high places, gentle in our own. Shall we not thus win love? Not so much to ourselves as to our beloved ones, showing his meekness in ours, his gentleness in ours, his lowliness in ours, his patience in ours, thus melting hearts that would not otherwise be melted, and winning affections that would not otherwise be won. For as he is, so we are in this world. Amen. Good pastoral counsel and teaching there from Horatius Bonar. Heavenly Father, help us to wrestle with this every day, not only the horribleness, the evil, the darkness of our sins, but also the surety that that once in Jesus Christ we will never lose our salvation. Once belonging to him, truly, we will always be his. Nothing can separate us ever from your love, from your mercy, from our salvation. And yet, Lord, we struggle and we wrestle and we sometimes lose sight of our standing in you. Our sins mount up against us and they appear in their hideousness and yet we do not see them as, 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 as you see them, which is far worse. Thank you, Father, that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Thank you that we have that grace in Jesus Christ, your Son. Father, I have received that grace through him. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us also to seek Jesus for the washing of our feet on a daily basis. Um, though we are clean, Lord, yet we need this cleansing, this washing every day, Lord. And forgive us for our many sins. And this we ask and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Yes, I think I think that, that uh, doctrine there that, that Bonar was talking about is also um, coming into the territory of assurance of salvation, um, which is a, which is an important topic for many Christians um, who wrestle with this. Um, but uh, obviously, there's only so much you can say in one short sermon. Um, I'm just going to add another personal testimony at the end here. Um, it's not this time really related to the message, at least I don't see that it is. But uh, I did the previous message. Um, Christ the healer from Bonan and added a story at the end of that which was illustrative of the sermon about the time that um, I was traveling through the Scottish Highlands with a friend and, and the car came off the road and how that led to a family living in a very remote place hearing the gospel which was uh, wonderful really um, but that wasn't the end of the story so here, here's how the story ends um, that eventually we got picked up from this remote place in the Scottish Highlands um, and uh, by some friends who had a car who were also passing the same way. 
And we arrived back in the town of St Andrews in Scotland. I was a, a medical student in, in St Andrews University at the time. This was back in about 1980. Yes, it would have been it would have been 1982, I think. Um, but essentially, we uh, arrived back in St Andrews um, in the evening and went to the Baptist church there, which it was where we worshipped. The service had finished, and we went into the hall where normally there was fellowship over a cup of tea, and the hall was empty and we were very surprised about this what's going on so we asked one person that we found and they said oh they've just heard that two medical students have been in a bad car crash in the Scottish Highlands so the church has stayed in to pray very good but at that moment the doors opened and people started coming in to the um, church hall there and uh, for coffee and tea and and as they came through the door people's faces were filled with absolute amazement and there's a sort of what are you doing here what are you doing here kind of response which was quite um interesting i would say entertaining in its own way um of course we were very glad that we were all right that was a great mercy from god and these people were extremely glad when they found out that we were fine um but uh, that uh, illustration reminded me um of the story of Peter being um, released from jail by an angel and coming to the door of the house and uh, uh, and nobody believing that Peter was banging on the door um, because they were all in prayer and uh, well we should believe that God will answer our prayers and not be surprised when he does. Amen.